everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of March 9th through March 22nd. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. As one spring break ends, another begins. And Ben Lemoreau. March 9th through the 22nd is totally not a week. Yeah, but we didn't have last week, so it's alright. For this, it's the end of week. Nintendo Weeks. Nintendo Whatever. Weeks. I like Whatever it. it is. Nintendo Weeks. Um, so we've got an absolutely jam-packed episode this week since we're catching up uh, from that last week that we missed. Uh, my god, Pokémon launched, Mitomo launched, Pokémon Go footage, NX League, Zelda U News, a mobile Pokémon game, tons of Hyrule Warriors DLC, Luigi's Mansion rumors. It's really the mother load here. Um, and then after the break, we're going to be doing a game corner to dive into Mitomo, Pokémon Tournament, and Twilight Princess. And if we have time, we will uh, take a few Mystery House questions, but no promises or anything. This week is way, way more than we expected to come back to, so uh, there's a lot of smaller stories we also didn't have the time to talk about on the show this week. I think we got all the vitals taken care of, but there's a lot of stuff we won't be mentioning here for smaller stuff like pre-order bonuses, uh, niche stuff like Azure Striker Gunvolt. So especially if you want to hear more than just the core pillars of Nintendo, you can head over to GameNinja.com and browse around our Nintendo categories to get fully caught up. But uh, with that all said, let's jump right into the news block. Here we go. So to start off the week, Aonuma updated us on Zelda U, this time teasing that it's going to be something new like Ocarina of Time was. They've been using Ocarina of Time as kind of a template for 3D Zelda games since then, so he's encouraging people to look forward to something refreshing. He uses the metaphor that it will be like switching from Japanese-style food to Western-style food, which a lot of people have been taking to mean that its design is going to be more inspired by Western games like The Witcher, uh, while others think Western versus Japanese is more so a commentary on the size of the change than the quality of the change. Um, now, I've got a lot to say here, so I think I'll open us off so that we get get it all dumped out quick. So, um, you know, we're looking at this, and I gotta say, I certainly hope that it is about the kind of change, not just the size, because Ocarina of Time is wonderful, and it was completely revolutionary, but Zelda's never really dared to go beyond what Ocarina accomplished. They've only dared to go in different directions. So, you know, we'll get changes to systems like the world design, puzzle design, stories, and that's all great, don't get me wrong. But because they've been working so insularly, they've been blown away by other adventure games like Skyrim, like The Witcher, uh, which have taken the care to improve the game's systems across the board. So you look at these things that Zelda hasn't even touched since 1998, you know, like its in-game economy, side quest tracking, combat for the most part, and yeah, they work, but they're 20 years old. They're exactly the same. Skyward Sword, for example, would refresh its notification settings every time you turned the game off, and so you read about the same stupid insects every single time you catch them. It's the same game, if you want to manage multiple side quests at once, they just don't have a solution for you. You have to use a pen and paper. Games like The Witcher and Skyrim already solved these kinds of problems a long time ago. There was no excuse for a pen and paper in 2011, and yet here we are five years later, and as far as I'm aware, it's the same deal with Twilight Princess HD. And now, it's not a big deal when you move from Ocarina of Time to Wind Waker, or from Wind Waker to Twilight Princess, because this progress is incremental, and there's usually not a whole lot of time between any two Zelda games. And that, I think, is why they're always changing the elements that they do, because from game to game, that's always way more refreshing. But 
you look back today at the series as a whole, and you've got so many games that all look different and control a little different, but they're all built off the same fundamentals. And those fundamentals are older than half the people who even play video games right now. So, I, I mean, I think the natural response that a lot of us have when we hear these kinds of conversations is, well, if I wanted The Witcher, I would play The Witcher. I like Zelda for what it is, not for what it's not. But I think that right there is actually the biggest misunderstanding about why we need these conversations. Because Zelda absolutely should not be regurgitating what's popular, you know? Zelda should be Zelda. But it should be evolving alongside the genre and alongside these other games. I mean, ideally, it should be defining the genre like it used to, but for now, let's focus on catching up from 20 years. Uh, but that's why these comparisons are happening, not because some heretic thinks the fundamental soul of Zelda needs to change, you know? But rather because this kind of neglect is limiting that soul from finding its true potential. I honestly, when I was thinking about this response, I've kind of fixated on, and you kind of touched on this already, but I fixated on how Zelda used to be a game that kept pace with, and in fact, I would say, and I think most people would say, surpassed the RPGs of its day. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's certainly not something that's even close to true today. You've got games that are selling circles around Zelda games, and it's not just because they're on multiple platforms. Mm. They're, like, doubling Zelda sales on any single platform. The Division uh, beat out Twilight Princess HD's sales in Japan this past week. Yeah. The Division yeah. is an incredibly Western game. Twilight Princess is an incredibly Japanese game. That's a huge sign that they need a big change. Right. It, it sort of kills the argument that Zelda needs to remain Japanese because Nintendo's Japanese. Right. The Japanese gaming market doesn't even want Japanese games. Yeah, I mean, Zelda has <laughs> been performing better in North America and sometimes Europe than it has in Japan for years anyway. Yeah, and that's another reason why, why, for my part, I'm actually rooting for a Zelda game that's not just that doesn't just change on the level Anum is talking about, but that's actually much more aware of what's going on in the West, kind of like what you said, Colin. Mm -hmm. um, I want them to recognize that as a global brand based on Western fantasy, because Zelda is based on Western fantasy, mm -hmm. uh, The Legend of Zelda is probably the series in Nintendo's wheelhouse that could most stand to benefit from actually appealing directly to Western tastes. Mm -hmm. Um you know, you said this too, but but a lot of people think that, oh, well, Zelda's so unique, so Zelda should be uncorrupted by the, the sort of Western AAA gaming uh, stuff that people complain about. And Zelda I, and I, was born of Western AAA gaming. It's not corrupted by it. It's nurtured by it. Exactly. Um, you know, when the first Zelda game was released, people actually identified it as a Western-style computer RPG. Um, mm -hmm. Mr. Miyamoto openly admitted back in the day that he was inspired by computer RPGs, uh, like Ultima, which was a, an open world, top down fantasy RPG, mm -hmm. uh, and wizardry, which was a, a dungeon crawler. I mean, those, those things are the heart and soul of Zelda as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Zelda has Western RPG built into its DNA. The difference I think we're seeing now is that while the older games began with those Western RPGs as a starting point. Uh, and then found ways to improve on Western RPGs with the kinds of things Nintendo is good at, so like the mm -hmm. actions and making things simple and approachable. Uh, the modern Zelda games don't even, uh, kind of as you said, they don't even understand why modern RPGs are popular in the first place. Right. Um, so I think if they're going to do a new paradigm for making Zelda games, they should be based on accepted RPG conventions, uh, but then build on those RPG conventions in the same way the original Zelda did. They shouldn't do, as you've been saying, they shouldn't be so self-reflective where they're constantly improving or 
or in most cases, just trying to be different within the existing Zelda formula, they should try to be right. better RPGs. Right, uh, and that right. and that that is the heart and soul of Zelda. That's not that's not a, a blood traitor sort of statement to make. Right. So, and, and I, oh, go ahead, Ben. When, when I look at what Onuma said, you know, I I can see the side where people think he's just sort of referring to how different the change is going to be. But I kind of feel like the second part will come along with that in terms of Western design versus Japanese design, because obviously the huge change is going to be. Uh, you look at Twilight Princess and you look at Skyward Sword, and they were very very linear games, very story driven games, and we can already see that Zelda U just the little we know about it as that's been hammered into our head over and over again is this is going to be different than that. So I think that's mm-hmm. the sort of drastic change is this open world where you can go anywhere, which of course is what Zelda started as anyway. Um, that's, you know, where the story is a little more determined by uh, your actions than, than a, a set in stone story. And so just, just because of that, I think you're going to see Western influence just because there's so many Western games that already do that very well. I, I don't think necessarily that the Zelda team is setting out to sort of copy elements from Skyrim or anything like that, but they showed the game off at uh, the Game Awards back in December of 2014, and a lot of people said, hey, this world looks pretty bare, and now we haven't seen anything since then, you know, 15 months later, because I think they went back and said, we've got this huge overworld, which is this huge open overworld, which is a big shift from previous linear games. Now we need to figure out ways to fill it. And so I think just over the past year and three months, they've probably been spending a lot of time sort of fleshing out that overworld in ways that maybe are going to be sort of similar to Western-style games, even if not really attempting to directly copy them. Yeah, no, that's a good point, that that, that those kinds of changes can go hand-in-hand. Hand. The size of the change may inherently mean the quality of the change, uh, just based on what games are around these days and what games might be inspiring them. Um, and you mentioned something, Alex, about uh, how you know it can iterate and and how it can go beyond the games that are already popular in the field. And like I said a little earlier, I totally agree with that. It totally should. I don't know that it will just because it has so much of this catch up to do. But uh, that got me, you know, thinking. I really think that a lot of the pushback against these kinds of ideas about Zelda being inspired from Western games and and becoming a little bit more like Western games of the modern day is from people who haven't really spent much time with these other games. Because you can take inspiration from the way that these games modernize all these kinds of mechanics without actually copying how they implement them and without copying the values of the game as a finished work. Yeah. You know, Zelda doesn't need to be Skyrim in order to acknowledge the mechanics that helped usher in Skyrim as sort of the, the giant in the modern age of gaming. It can use what Skyrim did really, really well to do Zelda really, really well, not do Skyrim okay. Right. Um, like one good opportunity that I see for, for Zelda to innovate in the open world spaces. Uh, and a lot of these open world games, you have sort of, it's sort of like a landmark, a, a quest to fill in your map with landmarks. Mm-hmm. And while I think Zelda should have a map that's full of stuff to find, I think one thing that they could, they could do is take that sense of, I could find a new place to discover around every corner and sort of make the areas themselves more handicraft in the way players are used to experiencing in Zelda games. Because mm-hmm. there is a sense that I get from Skyrim, for example, that the world is very sort of automated in the way that it's created. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think uh, Nintendo's pedigree for, for placing emphasis on handicraft will, will serve them well in making their, their game world stand out. Um, I also think they could do to make their game world not necessarily so large, but make every square inch count a, a bit more. So right. either the, the spectacle of it will count for something or uh, 
just they're they're able to pack it with, for example, monsters or uh, the reasons to kind of dig into the world. Yeah, and that's something they haven't yet nailed in a 3D Zelda game. Like, you know, when I go back and play A Link to the Past, there's not really a section of the overworld map that's, like, boring or empty or anything like that. It's it's all interesting to me. And so far, every 3D Zelda game has had a lot of areas where it's just sort of empty space. Maybe some interesting scenery, but the the overworld hasn't been interactive enough up to this point. And this would really be a good a chance for them to nail it. Yeah, I was actually going to say the exact same thing about the original Legend of Zelda 2. And, um you know, on the NES. And that's something that the 2D Zelda games really... And I think Link Between World is similar in that sense. I don't think it quite nails it as well, but I, I agree. That's something that 3D Zelda really needs to get down, and I think it this is their chance, really, to... Uh, to nail that aspect of Zelda and and bring that that idea that everywhere is an adventure into the 3D space. Yeah. Um, I think we should move on though, yeah. unless anyone has anything sure. else to um, uh, really pressing to say. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just add that I think the big hurdle to making a, a, a 3D space that leverages scale while also leveraging sort of keeping the player engaged, I think the big challenge will be finding uh, you know the kind of the balance the original Legend of Zelda had, where they're constantly throwing enemies and stuff at you, constantly throwing stuff to do. Uh, whereas that wasn't so much the case with with past Zelda games, past 3D Zelda games, I should say. Mm-hmm. All right, so a little bit long there, but that's okay. It was all very good. Uh, Zelda deserves that kind of attention. Um, but we'll move on to Nintendo's first mobile app, Mitomo, which has just launched in Japan. Uh, we'll talk more about this in the game corner, but I've been playing around with it over the past week or so. Uh, you know, we've got footage of how the game works if you want to check that out. But after its launch, it surpassed 1 million users in just three days, becoming the number one app on Japan's App Store and the most downloaded free app on Japanese Android phones, which caused an Nintendo's stock to jump by eight points. Right now, it's of course the first version of the app, but Nintendo wants it to evolve over time and drive people to use the My Nintendo reward system and even develop a community like Splatoon or Smash Bros. I'm pretty impressed with the one million users in just three days, just because I didn't expect this thing to have that much, I guess, force behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, given that, uh, get, just given the concept and given that there's already a, a glut of really, really popular and probably much more useful social networking applications already. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think in Japan, at least, this this is an app that's well-suited to kind of Japanese communication habits. Uh, in particular, uh, overcoming shyness and, and helping people communicate, which I, I think, I, as I understand, are pretty big anxieties in Japan. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also probably a lot of power behind the fact just that it's Nintendo's first mobile app. Yeah, um, I'm sure a lot of people checked power. it out for that reason alone. Exactly. And uh, and then, you know, once it's got that leverage of becoming, you know, number one on the app store, a lot more people are going to download it. And, you know, like, I, like iTunes was promoting it on the front page of the Japanese app store. You know, like, there are lots of things that, that play into how an app sort of grows um, that I think aren't they're not how Nintendo has traditionally operated, so I I think it's fair to expect, you know, this kind of activity. I think it's fair to expect, if not the same level of excitement in the West, you know, at least a lot of initial downloads and, and everything. You know, if, if that's not sustained, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who don't even care about Nintendo are going to be downloading this just because front page of the App Store, they know Nintendo from, you know, playing the Wii or from, you know, when they were younger kids. Um, so... And hey, it's free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think I think the thing to watch for me will be how many people are still using it a month later after they've downloaded it. Yeah, uh, for of course. Sure. In addition sure. to how many people in the West, you know, pick it up quickly after it releases. Right, um, but. 
Uh, yeah, so they mentioned, you know, tying it into my Nintendo, hoping people are driven to the system because of Mitomo. Um, so that system, of course, launched in Japan as well, alongside Mitomo, uh, which means we got some new information on how the service works. There's a video tour if you want to check out the site itself, but we've also learned that you can earn points by buying games, but not by buying DLC. Um, the full list of rewards right now does include Twilight Princess Picross, so that is real, but it also includes full games, virtual console games, Mitomo rewards, 3DS themes, um, discounts on games. It even includes WarioWare Touched as a download game for Nintendo 3DS, which is the first we've ever seen a DS game appear digitally on 3DS, so I would love uh, that to probably has that. larger implications. Yeah. I would yeah. download Chrono Trigger to my 3DS in like half a second. <laughs> SNES Virtual Console, man. Yeah, but that's not, um, uh, it's not on the <laughs> Wii U one, is it? No, I think uh, it's I just think so yet. That's kind of a that's kind of a knock on it. But but yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of DS back catalog that probably won't show up on Wii U, but but I think would be mm-hmm. great to have on 3DS. Yeah. Pokemon Go may have gotten its first footage from a Niantic panel at South by Southwest. The footage shows off someone trying to catch an Ivysaur. It's pretty short. You really need to check it out for yourself if you want to get a sense of it. Um, kind of hard to describe. But it was recorded separately from two different angles, so it does look a little more like it's the real deal. Um, also, it just looks like the real deal anyway. Uh, but considering the canceled GDC panel and, you know, Niantic and Google and Nintendo have gotten so much funding for this lately, I'm hoping that this footage is really early footage, because, to be honest, it does look pretty bare-bones, and I know that we shouldn't be expecting something that's going to be on par with the commercial that they aired, but um, this does look pretty weak. Yeah, um, I mean, graphically, it's about what I expected. It's just, yeah. gameplay-wise, we didn't get to see much, and I was hoping to get to see, like, battles, you know? I was hoping yeah. to see, like, two Pokemon actually attack each other, because that's what I'm interested in more than lobbing Pokeballs at an Ivy. For sure. For sure. The AR also was a little janky. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the, the Ivysaur was moving around a little bit. Like, the model was just appearing in different places. Um, you know, so I hope that they can get that technology working a little better. Uh, and hopefully they have. From my experience, AR has always been a little janky, so I guess I wasn't too surprised. Yeah. But, um, and and I and I, I think given the way that turned out on 3DS, I don't necessarily know that, uh, especially if they plan on having tons of Pokemon available in this thing, that it's going to be a gigantic priority for them to get it perfect. But um, right. But yeah, I, I want to. I need to see more about this before I really know. Because just seeing an animation of catching Pokemon that looks pretty much like I expected it to, like that. That's not enough to right. really get me excited. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Pokemon's also getting a new smartphone game currently called Pokemon Co Master, or at least that's the romanization of its Japanese name. Uh, it's a mix of classic Pokemon gameplay with a board game, and it's made by the same folks who created a really robust chess AI that ended up beating professional Japanese chess players. So it should be a rich game. Uh, it's coming to Japan in the spring, and there's a short little teaser trailer for the concept, but otherwise we haven't seen much, we don't have much to go on. I love how we're already approaching the point where Pokemon has more games on mobile than Nintendo is going to release themselves. <laughs> um, that just blows my mind. I mean, maybe it doesn't blow my mind because the Pokemon company is, is really, really good about catching up to modern trends in a lot of in a lot Catching of ways. them all. <laughs> catching yes, all the modern trends. All yeah. the modern trends. <laughs> Um, I am kind of interested in the board game concept. I can't really speak about it in any way, just because we have nothing to speak about. But uh, it's pretty neat. I I gotta say, I do like that. Well, I think it's it, it's it. really suited to, to mobile platforms in particular. Um, For sure. So, so I For like sure. that. Uh, Smash Bros. got a new balance patch, further proof that what we say here on the podcast becomes Nintendo's gospel six weeks after. It's true. Uh, 
<laughs> a handful of characters got minor nerfs like Zero Suit Samus, uh, Cloud, Corrin, Meta Knight. Sheik got hit really hard. Uh, it sounds like she's going to go way down the tier list. Uh, but then a handful of characters got nice buffs like Zelda, Charizard, Ganondorf, and Samus is way better now. She may shoot way up the tier list. So this is a mixed bag for me because my two mains are Samus and Cloud. Uh, the main knock on Cloud is normally it takes him seven seconds to charge his Limit Breaker. Now it takes eight and a half. No, it actually takes 7.4. Oh, does it really? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the one and a half second was an early misconception. Oh, well, that's, as that's, I understand. That's yeah, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. though. Uh, but I actually <laughs> had a look at Samus's, and I am now, and oh, I'm pleased. Oh, yeah. She's <laughs> she's gotten by far the uh, best A bunch boss. of her uh, tilts and air attacks went up by uh, two damage, so that's going to be wonderful. Yeah, and she's got her air speed is, is way better, so, you know, she can actually do aerial stuff really well now. Which hey, Nintendo um, listens sometimes. Yeah, exactly. They didn't. They didn't nerf Bayonetta. Very I was. Much. Yeah, I was about to say Bayonetta really, really needed a nerf. Yeah, but, um, it looks like she may be sort of the reigning champion at this point. Uh, but they did nerf Corin a lot. Like his counter doesn't kill at three percent anymore. That was a problem. <laughs> um, last week we mentioned that Hyrule Warriors Legends is getting four new DLC packs, but now we know what's actually going to be in them. In the late spring, we're getting a Wind Waker Master Pack alongside the free medley DLC. In summer, we're getting a Link's Awakening Pack with a playable character and a new weapon for Linkle. Fall bears a Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks Pack with a playable character and a new weapon for Toon Link. And Winter bears a Link Between Worlds Pack with two playable characters. All the packs will contain a ton of new My Fairy costume pieces as well as a new adventure map based on the respective game. And all the playable characters and weapons will be available in the Wii U version of Hyrule Warriors, but the adventure map stuff is still 3DS exclusive. We've also got got the pricing information, which is a little complicated, so you can check that out separately again, Nisha. Um, but what do you guys think of these these announcements? That's a lot more DLC than I was expecting for Fire yeah. Warriors Legends. Yeah! Um, yeah, especially the uh, the two characters from... A Link Between Worlds? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, su- I'm really surprised by the Link's Awakening pack. I thought that game was going to be totally overlooked. Like, they already did the yeah, classic Link skin. Yeah, it's, I know. It's just got... I mean, I know it's an older game, and it's maybe not one of the most famous Zeldas, but it's it's got such a passionate, like, fan base that just realized what a special, charming little game it is. Well, yeah, it's absolutely. it's the oldest game that seems to be getting a direct representation in, in, uh, in Hyrule Warriors. In the form so. of DLC, at least, you know, rather than just an adventure map or a costume. Right, in the form of, like, a character. Uh, assuming the character's actually from Link's Awakening. Uh, yeah, so I actually, I, I figured it would be, and I still think it would be. I heard someone say that maybe this is going to be their opportunity to put in Groose just because they don't want a Skyward Sword pack. Yeah. I don't really buy that. I don't buy that Sorry, either. Groose. I think the hope's dead. <laughs> um, but, um, so, I mean, we were actually talking about this. Marin seems like the obvious choice. Yeah. Insofar as Link's Awakening actually has an obvious choice, because uh, I don't think anyone from that game should be. But Well, um, I could see Marin being a kind of... I could see Marin being a costume. Pseudo throwback to, like, Arl from from uh, Wind Waker in that she's very associated with seagulls, but then this would be a chance to kind of fish a character from a completely different game than Wind Waker. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. So I could see her being kind of like that that uh, compromise for for sure. not having too many Wind Waker characters, but having something sure. that closely represents Wind Waker. Um, for Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, I mean, I think we all agree that the rep is probably going to be lineback. Oh, definitely. Like, who else could it possibly be? Yeah. Um, he is a pretty magnificent character. <laughs> <laughs> a Link Between Worlds. Uh, so we've heard a little bit of, like, you know, different discussion on this. Um, I think the safest bets are probably Ravio and Yuga. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, there's also, I'm wondering about Hilda. Yeah, Hilda's uh, Alex, 
I know you mentioned like Irene or Mabel. I well, could, Mabel's from. I could see Irene being kind of like the Agatha option, where uh-huh. Irene is one of those characters that's clearly designed to appeal to like the the anime lover crowd. Mm. Uh, you know, like the kind of people who like Kiki Delivery Service and liked Mabel from the Oracles games. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say, you know, uh, Irene could be a really, really great option uh, just in terms of play style because of the yep. whole broomstick idea, flying yep. around. And there are lots of great attacks and kinds of things that I can imagine, you know, just based on that alone. Um, and not only that, but and not, and not only play style, but she as a character is a flavor that we haven't gotten a lot of in Hyrule Warriors. Um, yeah. Just just yeah. from like a representation. Because we don't have very many magic users. Right. <laughs> uh, certainly, certainly not a lot of... Uh, Certainly not a lot of, like, traditional kinds of magic users. Or characters with blue hair. Well, if they make Ravio a well, playable character, yeah. then you better be able to go, like, squat in someone's house and charge them ridiculous prices. <laughs> that was clearly his most damaging attack. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, I think I would imagine Ravio would use, like, the items that are specific to Link Between Worlds, like the, the, uh, the, the sa- wind rod, maybe the, the sand, sand rod. rod. Yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, the fire rod, Link already has a fire rod, so I don't know about that one, but there's some really neat stuff that Ravio could uh, mine from A Link Between Worlds specifically. And something with his, his uh, the, the bird creature he has, yeah. too. Oh, oh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, um, summoning summoning Link's house and then squatting there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, although, circling back to Link's Awakening, we did mention, uh, I remember we were talking before, uh, possibility of the windfish. Um, which yeah. I don't think is going to happen just because he's so huge. It'd just be a, a fun joke. It would character. be cool. Yeah, I mean, I, is too big for I can see sort of two scenarios here. They decide on a Link's Awakening pack and decide on a character, and they're like, eh, Marin's probably the best choice. Or they decide, we want to have the Windfish playable, so let's make a Link's Awakening pack. Um, <laughs> and I don't know which of those two they, they went with, but uh, we'll see. I, I feel like it's going to be Marin. Well, um, I think someone had mentioned, and maybe this was you, that maybe the Owl could be playable. And the yes, Owl is technically the Windfish in Link's Awakening. Spoiler alert. Um, oh, yeah, I like forgot about that. Sport. Yeah, he's How like. How could you spoil this game so badly for me, the... Alex? I already <laughs> played it, and you still just went so heartless on me. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta solve the unsolved mysteries of Link's Awakening that you you never got around. I guess to. so. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a <laughs> incarnation of his psyche. So yeah, that makes sense. So that could be interesting. We haven't had a yeah. we haven't had a like a animalistic character besides you know Minen. The, the yeah wolf. well it could be a good opportunity to sort of make like a Kaipora Gaibora kind of character yeah. and obviously it would be the windfish because uh, it's not Kaipora Gaibora but um, uh, you know it'd be interesting if he is the owl for most of his stuff and you know takes on that kind of moves like Kaipora like his you special know. is he just turns into a giant whale and crushes everything. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. exactly. Kind of yeah. like the the king of red lions, you know? Yeah. He just turns into a giant fish sometimes for whatever the hell attacks. <laughs> Plus, I'd love to see how they interpret the wind fish visually. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. They had this yeah. really like, kind of psychedelic design in, uh, in Link's Awakening. Mm-hmm. We also recently mentioned last week that uh, Bravely Second was getting a lot of its side questing content changed for the West, uh, primarily the endings. This, of course, upset a lot of people given how much, you know, localization and whatnot has become such a big talking point lately. But Square explained that they changed the content because it wasn't good, and Japanese players were really underwhelmed by the writing. Uh, so after hearing the fan feedback, the writers and developers went back and decided to improve upon, not destroy their vision. Um, I think this is kind of an interesting sort of 
example of localization in that a lot of people have been sort of mischaracterizing it um, and and demonizing it lately as a team from a completely different culture who has no communication with the developers goes in and screws everything up. But, you know, this demonstrably is not the case. The developers heard the feedback, they empathized with the fans, decided they wanted to improve the game. Whether or not they actually did is a different question, we'll find out. But, um, you know, the, it, the process is a lot different than people have been making it out. Well, and, and this isn't the first time we've heard about uh, a Japanese company having a hand in how the localization of the game turns out. Because uh, right. if you remember back uh, when Wind Waker came out, apparently the Japanese version of the Triforce Quest was very different than when we got in America. And that was a decision made by the Japanese development team. It wasn't a decision made by a Nintendo of America. Right. Uh, so this... This conception that these global companies that happen to be based in Japan and make their games first in Japanese have no say over the localizations and how they turn out and how the content is, it's 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 just not really panning out to be based in reality. Yeah. All right, and then the last story on our plate for the news block, Nikkei reports that Nintendo is discontinuing the Wii U this year. Nikkei, of course, is a huge, very respected publication in Japan. They've revealed information about Nintendo hardware correctly dozens of times. Uh, I don't think they've ever gotten it wrong. Um, but they, you know, they revealed the existence of the new 3DS. Um, you know, there have been rumors for a while that Nintendo's cutting off Wii U inventory to avoid unsold systems, and Japanese retailers have been complaining for a little while about Wii U shortages. So it looks like this is almost certainly true, and I think it's safe to say that they're paving the way for NX to launch in 2016. Well, yeah, that's absolutely what I think is happening, and uh, most recently, it's it basically since the turn of the new year, Japanese retailers have been uh, running out of Wii, Wii U stock. And the weekly media uh, create charts only show Wii U selling like five or six thousand units a week. Like it's it's really mm-hmm. low. And uh, the most recent one, there was a, a major electronics retailer in Japan that said we're out of Wii U stock, and we have no idea if Nintendo's giving us more. They won't tell us anything. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, this seems like it's pretty much legitimate to me. Part of me mm-hmm. is wondering whether they've not really been producing a lot of units at all in the last even couple of years. Because if you look back to, I believe it was early 2015, no, 2014, sorry, um, Nintendo really cut their uh, sales uh, projections for Wii U. They were expecting to sell uh, 9 million units for that fiscal year, and they lowered their estimate to 2.8 million units. They've sold just over 9 million units in the entire lifetime of the system well, now. and it's funny, I was going to say, <laughs> since uh, that report, they've only just at their last financial statement reached the target that they set for that year. So I wonder <laughs> and and, pre- and previously they'd also said, you know, we thought we were going to take losses on Wii U, but we wound up booking most of the production costs during this fiscal year. So we don't anticipate taking a loss on Wii U this fiscal year because we've already produced the units. Mm. And may, it, it could be that we're finally seeing them deplete that stock that they had overproduced. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense and I think... Um I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily completely done. I'm sure they're manufacturing, a, you know, some more. Yeah. But it would make sense that the production is discontinued entirely this year yeah, rather than I agree. decreasing. I agree. If Wii U's situation weren't so dire and they were just getting ready to roll out the NX, I could imagine that, you know, they reduce manufacturing. This is saying it's completely done this year. So I would imagine that you're right, and, and that's why. And that's... They've got most of their units already. They'll make maybe a couple thousand more. 
but that's it. And then, yeah. you know, uh, Nintendo really doesn't like to spend much on advertising, and they've already said that they plan to spend a decent amount advertising on their mobile games. So they've already got to advertise for, you know, their handheld system and for the upcoming NX and for mobile games. So I don't, they're not going to sell very many more Wii U's, you know, over the next year or two. It's just not going to happen. So I imagine they're basically yeah. going to cut all of Wii U's advertising budget, uh, stop producing more, and then just let the remaining stock slowly trickle away. Yep. Which is a little sad, because that means Wii U will probably only have a, uh, a four-year life cycle, but, I mean, we've seen this coming for quite a while now, so... It would be a lot sadder if Wii U had a longer life cycle, let's put it that way. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, Especially with the lack of games that are coming to it after uh, right. after Spring's over. Right. I mean, we saw how sad everyone was in 2015, and with the latest Nintendo Direct, I kind of liked it, but it seems like the overwhelming response was negativity, color splash, and stuff like that, so... Imagine if, if that went on for the next three or four years yeah. that's exactly. no one would be happy nintendo would be dead um does anyone have anything else to no i don't but we're gonna go to the end uh <laughs> something just popped up i don't know if you want to talk about this or wait oh boy nintendo has addressed the wii u rumor they did the nintendo oh. thing where they didn't technically deny it but tried to kill the rumor the exact okay. quote is this isn't an announcement from our company from the next quarter and thereafter as well production is scheduled to continue so oh my god. The rumor is that it will end before the end of the year. So they're like, oh, we're going to keep making them for at least three more months. Okay. Uh, well, I'll just throw our little. <laughs> I'll just throw what we just recorded in with the end of that story. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's totally a Nintendo answer. They're trying to squash yeah, the rumor, but they did not technically deny it. They just Which said, means that it's true, basically. Yeah, they said this information didn't <laughs> well, come from right. us, and we're totally going to keep making Wii U's next quarter. Even when Nintendo denies rumors, they could still be true. So, <laughs> yeah. remember that 3DS XL thing? Yeah, that, that doesn't exist. Bing, bing. Also from Nikkei. But, uh, so that's it for our news block. We're going to move on to the Gossip Stone here. Let's head on over there. with the Gossip Stone, where we discuss the latest updates from the old rumor mill. After each one, we're going to go around and weigh in with our final verdicts, whether we think the rumors are true or trubbish. First up today, Liam Robertson writes a story reporting a notion that Kensuke Tanabe, the producer of the Metroid Prime series, has completely parted ways with Retro. He apparently had a very authoritarian presence over them, and though they speak of him as a great leader, Retro Studios felt like they no longer needed a liaison from Nintendo affecting their creative process. Uh, they requested that Nintendo give them more freedom, and instead of letting them off the leash entirely, they gave Retro a new Nintendo producer who's currently not officially known, but Robertson says he's heard that it is Yoshio Sakamoto, the co-creator of Metroid. His sources haven't heard anything that suggests that they're working on a new Metroid game, though, so if you get your hopes up for that, it should be totally unrelated to Sakamoto. So, uh, I'll say the the first part of it about Kensuke Tanabe, that's that's definitely, well, I can't say definitely, but I'm assuming that's true. You know, everything seems to line mm -hmm. up, and there was actually an interview last year where he was asked, uh, is Retro Studios working on blah blah blah? I don't remember what the exact context was, and he replied, oh, I'm not really sure what they're working on. And he has been their right. hands-on producer for a decade, so that right. you know it makes no sense for him to say that unless he's not working <laughs> yeah, with them. Absolutely. As, as for the latter part, I know Robertson himself said he was very uncertain about the Sakamoto part. That was just sort of rumblings he'd picked up, and we know right. that Sakamoto is actually the producer of Mitomo, and I kind of imagine that they're going to have him involved in their other mobile games too. So I'm going to say the mm -hmm. first part's true and the second part's rubbish. Interesting. Okay. I will um, agree with Ben, and I will add that I really hope Sakamoto is not the producer for Retro Studios, because Sakamoto's taste in gaming, the taste that produced games like 
Rhythm Heaven, like WarioWare, like I think he did Rhythm Heaven. Other M, those aren't <laughs> those aren't tastes mm-hmm. that I think mesh well with a studio that's very Western. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I agree with you. I think the first part's true. I don't know if I'll say the second part's trubbish, but I'm not ready to say it's true. Um, Next, we hear that the NX is going to launch with Luigi's Mansion 3, which sports gorgeous visuals and a neat use of the haptic feedback we saw in the NX controller patents. Next Level Games and the team in Tokyo were inspired to make an NX game when they saw the commercial for Luigi's Mansion 2. They wanted to make a game that looked as good, uh, and they've come extremely close, apparently, with advanced lighting techniques and extremely detailed shadow and transparency effects that apparently make it look like a, quote, living 3D cartoon movie. Um, I don't know about you guys, I'm calling Trubbish on this one. It comes from the same Gino guy who's been spouting off a lot lately, and while he's gotten some stories spot on in the past, he's gotten other stories dead wrong. You know, we don't have any particular reason not to believe this one, uh, but he's been saying so many things over the last few weeks, it just, that just rubs me the wrong way. It feels like an attention thing. That said, I would love to be eating my words in a few months here, because I love Luigi's Mansion. This whole idea sounds fantastic, especially using the haptic feedback to make it feel like you're really struggling with the ghosts. That's great. Um, But the most tangible piece of this story is the mention of the Dark Moon commercial, which... First of all, if that's the most tangible piece of a rumor, I I feel like that doesn't really speak too well for it. Um, But also, the Dark Moon commercial looks good, but it's not really that inspiring. I'd be surprised if anyone saw that. You just don't understand art, Colin. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. So you use the Uh, word fantastic, and I think that is the exact right word to use here. It sounds (laughs) like a fanfic that someone wrote up. Um, So I hope it's true, but it's it's Mm -hmm. uh, we don't really have any evidence one way or the other. But my bullshit uh, sensor tells me that this this just sounds like something someone dreamed up. Yeah, Yeah. I'm kind of with you guys on the source of the rumor being kind of bullshit. That said, I do think that after the success of Dark Moon, there probably will be a Luigi's Mansion 3. I could see it mm-hmm. being an oh, early sure. title for NX to showcase the haptic feedback, assuming that's a thing that they're actually going with. Um, because that's how Nintendo's traditionally leveraged titles like Luigi's Mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, Luigi's Mansion on the GameCube, which was designed to showcase the GameCube controller. So I think they probably are making a Luigi's Mansion 3, but I don't think what this guy is saying is coming from an actual source. So you think that the content of the rumor is true, I think but at the least, rumor itself is trouble. I think at least Luigi's Mansion 3 will be coming. It will be a showcase of the controller. But I do not think that right. this, anything else the source is saying is coming from a, from a source. Okay. Next up, um, as a follow-up to last episode, Destructoid is now saying that Ubisoft didn't ask them to remove the rumor they posted about Beyond Good and Evil 2 being funded by Nintendo. Uh, Or rather, for clarity's sake, they said that any requests, they say, were not sent by Ubisoft's official PR departments. Um, That wording is so careful and yet so vague, and the story it's addressing was already a rumor, so I don't know that we should really read into it that much here, but does it change how you guys see the status of this rumor at all? I'd say absolutely not at all, because they're absolutely not saying anything at all. (laughs) Yeah. This is is like a zero statement. There's not even even really a statement here. Yeah, I'm sure someone from Ubisoft just, you know, told them, hey, you know, we didn't technically tell you this no one from right. our pr department technically told you that so you can't say that right that's, i that's do kind of I'm wonder interested. about what the real story is though behind yeah the, like how they the heard destructoid thing who from ubisoft said this yeah um but you know we'll never know so 
Might as well not dwell on it. Specifically, so that we can get to the moment that you guys have all been waiting for, the fabled NX controller leak. Dual Pixels ran a story with an image supposedly revealing the NX controller, which looks a lot like the touchscreen controller patent we saw some months back. Uh, Destructoid ran tests on the picture to see if it was photoshopped, and alas, it was not. But of course, it's still possible that someone, you know, like made a 3D print model and stuff like that and just took a real picture. Um, the screen shows a scene from an Unreal Engine tech demo. Alex, I think you have some more to say about this? So, the tech demo in question was from 2014. It was used for a benchmark for the Snapdragon 800 mobile processor, which sounds a lot like something Nintendo would be shooting for. Um, and the image is actually taken from about eight or nine seconds into the tech demo. Uh, so when I first saw the tech demo and compared it to the image on the controller, the first thing I noticed was that the image, as it appears on the controller screen, uh, actually looks a little different, as if uh, it's missing the shadow effects uh, from the demo. Mm -hmm. So at first I thought, hey, maybe this is just uh, someone just throwing the Unreal uh, benchmark on NX hardware, and maybe they haven't implemented the shadow effects yet. So I thought, oh, oh maybe this maybe this is real. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't imagine anyone going to such lengths to kind of fake that. Right. Fake, fake the missing shadow effects, that is. I would guess they would just grab a screenshot and just throw it on there. But... There's still a pretty glaring red flag, and that's that the screenshot doesn't show the full frame from the image in the tech demo. In fact, it's not even close. Um, it cuts off way more than half the image. Uh, the image we see on the screen isn't even centered in the frame. Uh, so my gut instinct mm. is to say that someone cropped out a piece of an image from the demo, uh, maybe bloomed it up a little or something, tried to pass right. it off as a scene from a game, Um but, you know, given how that image maps somewhat to the Unreal Tech demo, but but cuts out so much of the frame, it's probably not something that you'd actually see rendered in real time. So I'm calling right. BS. You're calling just Trubbish. For that, just j Trubbish. Just for that reason alone, <laughs> it doesn't look like a real screenshot to me. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Trubbish. Uh, like... You basically gave a great summary of the whole course of events. It looked like maybe it is real because of this unreal thing, but then, you know, <laughs> more as more comes out. But, um, yeah, and I, I hope it's Trubbish, too, because that controller's ugly as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Really, you should look at the pictures if you're listening, like, and you haven't seen it already. Well, I'm I sure mean, and it have. looks so similar to the patents, like, you know, almost I an identical, ugly version of the, the patents yeah, we've well, seen. So, the it, Wii U game so, did, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. That is a little bit of a strange red flag. Well, I was kind of mixed on that particular detail myself because, on the one hand, yeah, it's kind of on the nose. Mm -hmm. And usually you don't see patents, uh, certainly not outlandish for outlandish things like this, quite turn out to be that similar to what the design is in the patent. But on right. the other hand, I could see it being kind of a thing where they're being so secretive about NX that the thing they give to developers technically functions but does it look like yeah. the final product at all? Yeah, uh, a right. prototype is definitely possible. But like you said, the the image from the Unreal Tech demo just yeah don't quite buy it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. So, I don't buy it. Yeah. So Ben, Trubbish? I think at yeah, best I'm going to go Trubbish as well. At best, it might 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 be a prototype. So, uh, that is all for the Gossip Stone, which means we got one last segment before the break here, the beloved Lightning Round. Let's take it away. 
We've now arrived at the beloved lightning round, where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week, or two weeks. If you want to read more about any of these stories, or any of the ones we discussed earlier, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you'll see all these links. Alright, so first up, recent releases and stuff that's now available for you. For Wii U, tons of new costumes have come to Super Mario Maker, including Nabbit, Tetra Balloon Fighter, Mary O, Captain Toadette, and a character from Daigasso Band Brothers. Meaning, Super Mario Maker officially now has more IP in it than Wii U has. (laughs) But it's on Wii U, so... So, kind of. <laughs> um, kind of. Uh, Pokémon Tournament is now available with the Shadow Mewtwo Amiibo card and its special wired fight pad. Uh, you can check out a launch trailer for that, or if you're in Europe, you can get a demo to see how you like it. You can now get Super Mario Bros. 3 Advance from the GBA Virtual Console on Wii U, or if you're in Japan, you can get Metroid Other M from the Wii U eShop. The depressing thing about the Metroid Other M is, assuredly, customers in Japan will be paying more to get that game digitally than they can pay for it to get it out of a bargain bin. Yeah, you can find it for like (laughs) 5 or 10 bucks, like, anywhere. (laughs) Um, For 3DS, Fire Emblem Fates' third path is now available in North America alongside a new map. Also available are Mario and Sonic at the Rio Olympics, Mutant Mud Super Challenge, and you can preload Hyrule Warriors Legends and Bravely Default. And if you're in Europe, four new SNES games have launched on the new 3DS Virtual Console, and... You Pokemon players can now get the legendary bird trio through various means. You're up again. Um, both systems got a few new titles and a new wave of Nintendo Selects, so Masterpiece Video Games can be yours for just $20. I'm going to depart a little for my little snarky digs and say <laughs> I've been really pleasantly surprised to see how well, and this is just an anecdote, to see how well these games are selling, because every time I go to the store kind of looking to uh, get a Super Mario 3D World to replace my digital copy, I can't <laughs> find any copies of these. These are selling really well, so... And I'm excited that Nintendo. Ocarina of Time is available again, because physical copies yeah. of that were, like, super rare and going for, like, 60-plus bucks online, but now I can get it for 20 bucks. Well, just and like that's one of the go. games that I can't find, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I already have a copy, thank God, but... Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But we might, we might see shortages again. Yeah. Plus, a bunch of new Amiibo launched. We got Roy, Ryu, Famicom Rob, and four Animal Crossing ones. You can now watch the Pokemon Forever movie on the Pokemon TV app. It's not out yet, but you can now pre-order the gorgeous Figma Link from A Link Between Worlds. And of course, Mitomo launched in Japan, which means you can get it right now pretty easily by just switching to the Japanese iTunes store. Now for a bunch of upcoming dates to look out for. March 24th, Hyrule Warriors Legends launches in Europe alongside the Hyrule Edition new 3DS XL, while Shantae Risky's Revenge Director's Cut launches in both Europe and North America. March 24th is also when Super Mario Kart, Earthbound, and Donkey Kong Country come to the 3DS Virtual Console in North America, while Europe gets both DKC games, and on Wii U, you'll get Star Fox 64 for half price. So this will be the first time that that is released in Europe under the name Star Fox 64, I think, because it was uh, Lilat Wars. And when it originally oh, that's right! Oh, wow. Or is it even uh-huh. that, even Light Light Wars <laughs> on the uh, Virtual Console before? Had it not come to the Virtual Console? Oh, I, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I haven't really oh, kept well. tabs on Europe's VC. Uh, March 24th is also... Lots of stuff March 24th. It's your last day to get Celebi through Mystery Gift in the 3DS Pokemon games. March 25th, Hyrule Warriors Legends launches in North America. It's also the first day that you can get the Mini Mario Amiibo Challenge for free by buying an Amiibo. And that's when you can play Metroid Prime Federation Force if you're at WonderCon. March 30th, Nintendo's holding a level design course for children in San Francisco. March 31st, Wii Street U is officially shutting down. Nothing of value is lost. (laughs) Sometime in April, we're getting two new updates for Splatoon, and Binding of Isaac Afterbirth is coming to Wii U. 
April 1st, you can get Jirachi through Mystery Gift over Wi-Fi on any of the 3DS Pokemon games. April 4th, Mario Kart TV's online portal is officially shutting down. In mid-April, Korokoro will reveal details on Pokemon Sun and Moon. April 15th, Europe gets a new wave of Nintendo Selects games. April 27th, Nintendo releases their earnings report uh, over the past fiscal year. I think this is when we can finally expect Nintendo to actually say that NX is coming out this year. Because they're going I was to thinking the same thing. They're going to release their forecasts, and they're going to have to tell investors what, how they're going to make all that money. Good point. Yep. Um, July 22nd, Sega's holding a party for Sonic, where they're announcing a new game which marks the future of the series. And September 27th, Sonic Boom Fire and Ice launches for 3DS. Remember, there's no Wii U one this time. And then finally, a rundown of all the other things that happened this past week. The main series Pokemon games have sold over 200 million worldwide. Meanwhile, the Pokemon re-releases sold more than any other eShop game in their first week, so I am looking forward to Gold and Silver. Heck yeah. <laughs> the CEO of the Pokemon company was recently interviewed, and there were some wonderful insights about what makes Pokemon so special. Feel free to check those out if you wish. Um, lots of good stuff. The Pokemon company wants to bring stores outside of Japan, and Koro Koro is teasing something called Pokemon Elections, which they say will be huge. As long as it's set in the universe where Pikachu Detective is and we get Danny DeVito involved in some way, <laughs> I am super excited. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Splatoon's latest Splatfests were Jetpacks versus Hoverboards in Europe, where Hoverboards won. And that is a travesty, let me just say. Alright, Team Jetpack, get your shit together, alright? And snowmen versus sandcastles in America, where sandcastles won. That's a travesty. Nobody too. wants to build a snowman. Let it go. <laughs> There's a real squirt gun based on the splatter shot coming this year, and Japan's even getting a splat roller lint brush. The latest Mario Maker update changes how you jump off the P-Switch, which makes levels confusing as hell. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo deleted every single Mario Maker course by his popular speedrunner without explaining why. Which was confusing as hell for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, data miners found loads of SNES games that are likely coming to the new 3DS Virtual Console. Uh, Nintendo also explained why Super Nintendo games are not on the older 3DS Virtual Consoles. Essentially, those systems can't handle it. Sega and Nintendo were discussing crossing over Mario and Sonic games as early as 2004. In fact, Miyamoto wanted to have Sonic and Smash Bros. Melee, but it was too late in development. You mean I can't unlock him if I kill 20 people in Cruel Melee? <laughs> no, you can. That totally works. They're just still trying to keep up the secret. <laughs> Um, Star Fox Zero comes with an invincibility mode for new players, which got a ton of backlash, but was defended by Jim Sterling. Uh, if you're upset about that mode, I really encourage you to check that video out. That's a good yeah, look at as, the as usual, I find myself with uh, siding with Jim Sterling on this issue. So it, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's not going to affect you unless you put the mode on. Well, yeah. and there's also a glass cannon mode where you die more quickly. So options, man. Yeah. Evens it up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got new details on how a handful of copy abilities work for the mechs in Kirby Planet Robobot. Nintendo's patented a handheld device that uses infrared signals to track your hand motions. Ben's gonna flip because Axiom Verge is coming to Wii U this year. Oh my year. god, I'm so excited. So, I already <laughs> owned this game on PS... Or, uh, I'm sorry, on PC and on my friend's PS4. I'm gonna buy it for Wii U as well. I'm gonna have it on three systems and I'm gonna love it. That's just, that's <laughs> just gonna be my life. Nothing but Axiom yes. Verge from here on out. Twilight Princess HD was outsold by The Division in Japan. Fire Emblem Fates Special Edition is getting restocked in Australia and New Zealand. Capcom's got a new survey that asks fans whether we'd like to see collection games for Zero, ZX, and other subseries, and even Mega Man 11. I would not mind another, like, a Zero collection or a big X collection. Uh, I don't really care a ton for the classic Mega Man games, ah. but I enjoyed 9 and 10, so I'd probably play 11. Heretic. But uh, really, I would love uh, to see a big X collection. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, Mega Man Legacy Collection Collector's Edition with the Amiibo is back in stock on Amazon, and the normal game is available uh, for just $20 on sale. 
Toys R Us is doing a buy one get one 40% off on Nintendo games and Amiibo. Target's offering buy one get one half off on Toys to Life figurines like Amiibo, and buy two get one free on 3DS games and Pokemon cards. You can get two free Animal Crossing Amiibo when you buy Happy Home Designer or Amiibo Festival at GameStop, and that's actually just part of a way bigger sale. And probably the coolest one of all, Amazon will now ship games and goods directly from Japan, so importing is easier than ever. That's a great way to get games like Fire Emblem, Xenoblade, Hyrule Warriors, if you don't want to wait, you know, God knows how many months on localization. KFC is offering tons of Pokemon collectibles in Japan. Japan's also getting a bunch of adorable Ditto-themed merchandise. They're derpy as hell and I love them. <laughs> They're so cute. Um, meanwhile, Plague Knight and Shield Knight are getting little plushies to join Shovel Knight on the Trapple King. A fan beautifully recreated Death Mountain Crater from Ocarina of Time in Unreal Engine 4. One fan made a stunning custom amiibo of Amaterasu. 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 I know, I'm just... I've, you know it. Yeah. Uh, from Okami. Uh, it's a long day. Well, another fan made a gorgeous custom Suicune. It's actually the same fan for both of them. Very talented. Oh, was it really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, great work. An upcoming mod lets you play as paper earthbound characters in Paper Mario 2. A group of modders is turning the animals in Stardew Valley into Pokemon. And a new emulator lets you play NES games in Dioramic 3D, which looks really cool. And then Nintendo made a four-part video series where their developers strike uh, the pose of an amiibo and have viewers guess which one it is. And finally, as the last story of the lightning round, I'd like to announce that Gamnesia is officially looking for new volunteer writers and other kinds of staff members like video editors, audio editors, and more. Uh, so check out our post on that if you want to learn more, work with great folks like us. But that marks the end of this week's news and whatnot. So we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we've got more awesome Nintendo discussions coming right up. In the meantime, please enjoy Bulby's 16-bit rendition of Azalea Town from Pokemon Gold and Silver, styled to sound like Final Fantasy IV. Alright, we are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, joined by Alex Plant. I'm ready to game. And Ben Lamoureux. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like we're running a little over here, so I'm sorry we won't be able to do the Mystery House this week. Um, we might be able to do it next week, but I'm anticipating we might have to have a shorter episode, so we'll see. No promises. Um, but we're going to be talking about uh, some stuff we've been playing recently and some recent releases that have come out from Nintendo. So let's head on over to the Game Corner. And here we are with the Game Corner, a segment where we shoot the breeze about games that have just come out, or games that we've been playing lately, stuff like that. This week we're going to focus on two recent Wii U games, Twilight Princess HD and Pokémon Tournament, and Mitomo, which has just launched in Japan and should be coming west any day now. Heck, maybe it's here by the time you're listening. Um, but let's start off with Twilight Princess HD, which Alex reviewed for the site. So, Lex, why don't you take it away? So, a little bit of background on my experience with the original Twilight Princess before I get into the review. Uh, so I was actually hugely positive on the direction the game was going when it was first announced. Like, for example, I liked the fantasy, high fantasy art style. Uh, I liked the story bits that we had gotten. I liked the interesting gameplay ideas that we were seeing. Um, but when I actually played through the game, I wasn't really quite as positive on it. So uh, me playing Twilight Princess, Twilight Princess HD is actually the first time I've seriously sat down to play the game since around the time Skyward Sword came out. 
Uh, and those negative feelings that I had when I first played it have kind of lingered throughout all those years. Uh, but this time, when I played it, I was actually really pleasantly surprised by the game. Um, I remembered the original feeling very barren and lifeless, lifeless when you traveled Hyrule Field. Uh, but coming back to it now, the large spaces don't quite feel so wasted to me anymore. Uh, they feel like they're an appropriate part of the spectacle, uh, appropriate part of the sword combat, or the horse combat, uh, and a nice mm. stage for a good old fantasy adventure. Um, and there's lots of things to discover, actually. I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how many secrets I was finding. Uh, and the process of discovering those secrets is a lot more satisfying than I remembered. Yeah, uh, you know, I actually, a lot of people complain about how empty Twilight Princess's world is. And I think if it were any bigger and still had the same amount of content, I, that would be a little bit past the tipping point for me. But I actually kind of think of Twilight Princess more as the closest that Zelda's gets to a Western, not in a gameplay sense, but a Western movie, uh, you know, in a yeah. genre sense, which is, you know, the lone wolf, hey, 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 um, and, you know, uh, there are these big, vast open spaces, a lot of flat landscapes um, with a little bit of geometry, a little bit of sort of rock formation, maybe a couple of trees here and there, but for the most part, the the geography really feels a lot like sort of classic Western movies, um, and so well, and that's in that really sense, not I surprising really given. That's not really surprising, given that you see Western iconography all over the place. Absolutely. Uh, in particular, Kakariko Village and, and the Hidden mm-hmm. Village. Um, yeah. So that, that's a cool observation. I, I never really thought about it that way. Now, despite kind of how I was feeling about discovering things and exploring the world, uh, the game tends to get in the way of that, uh, at least when you're kind of plowing through the main quest. Uh, you've got all these mandatory super tedious tasks getting thrown at you like every five minutes throughout the first half of the game yeah the intro is really bad especially i don't enjoy the chores in Ordon village like fishing for a cat um <laughs> i don't enjoy collecting tears of light oh my god uh, the tears certainly of light, not yes. as my certainly not as my introduction to a new area where you want to explore naturally yeah for sure um i don't like getting jerked around by cutscenes rather than kind of left on my own to figure out the character stories and figure out the dungeon and, and the conflicts that are going on. Um, mm-hmm. I, you, you're led by the hand throughout the whole game. Yeah. Um, but beneath that BS, uh, it's got some great dungeons, it's got great controls, uh, not half bad characters, and a decent story. Uh, so there there is a masterpiece of a Zelda game to be found in Twilight Princess, probably one of the better 3D games, uh, for sure. I know there aren't that many 3D games. Yeah. But that great game is buried underneath a mound of bullshit. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty accurate summary. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I I think that... Um... No, actually, I pretty much agree. You know, I, <laughs> I don't I know if played... I'd take it that far, but, you know, to say a, a massive pile of bullshit. But, well, you compare um, to the game, it's I emulating. agree with the sentiment for sure. You compare right. to the game it's emulating, which is Ocarina of Time, which is a very lean You're in the game. first dungeon in five minutes. Right. And, and even throughout the game, there's like maybe one or two not really menial tasks, but you could right. call them that if you want to be nitpicky. But you never have dungeon. to deliver a giant barrel of water half an hour from Goron Village to Castle Town without dropping it once. <laughs> right. You you might have to find a message in a bottle and show it to a guy, and then you're in the dungeon. Right. Like, right. easy. But that's mm-hmm. not how it is in Twilight Princess. Right. Um, so, moving on to Pokémon Tournament, that came out last Friday, requiring a day one patch for online play. I tackled our Pokémon review for Gamnesia, and my life's been exhausting lately. I haven't gotten the chance to touch it since the review went up uh, over a week ago now. Um, 
So we'll see how well I do here. But it is really super solid. It's a great fighting game. Um, and it's not too hard to pick up, but it's extremely robust. Um, I had an amazing time with it. The single player mode can get a little tedious, but I also think I might have picked up the game a lot quicker than the developers expected. Maybe a lot quicker than, um, you know, a lot of players do too. Colin's uh, just that good. Well, my point of <laughs> reference is Street Fighter, mm. which I actually played Street Fighter 2, like, quite a bit before Pokémon Tournament, coincidentally, but uh, it still kind of prepped me for a mindset of how you learn a fighting game and uh, how to advance quickly in a fighting game and get good at a fighting game quickly, because the AI in that game is brutal. You need to adapt to survive. Um, but So that was a really high bar for entry, and I think that, that uh, having that under my belt so quickly before Pokken kind of uh, got me in this this frame of mind that was a lot more ready to adapt to it than um, most of the people, I think, who are going to be playing this. Um, but anyway, really solid all around. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, my biggest concern is a more personal one, and that's that they didn't really do a good job, I don't think, making this a Pokemon fighting game as opposed to a fighting game where you play as Pokemon. Uh, the stages really don't feel like a part of the Pokemon world, so that's a big bummer for me. Um, you know, I'm all about, like, fan service and honoring source material and stuff, uh, and I, I respect that they wanted to do something a little different, a little more original for Pokken, but at the end of the day, this is primarily a game for Pokemon fans, and speaking as a Pokemon fan, I just didn't really feel particularly, like, valued, I guess. Um, you know, they accomplished what they needed to, you know, Garchomp feels like Garchomp, Machamp feels like Machamp, um, but it doesn't really feel like a Pokemon battle that I'm playing yet, that is. Uh, you know, it's got huge potential for sequels and stuff, though, so I'm sure that in time it will grow into this Pokemon Dream game. Um, for now, it's still great, tons of fun, definitely recommend it, uh, really awesome, gonna have a great time. I'm a little disheartened by how you're saying that the world doesn't feel Pokemon enough, yeah. Because I've always felt like with a lot of the spin-offs for existing Nintendo franchises, and Mario Kart in particular, but also Smash Brothers, there's um, a very careful attention to making the world feel like an extension of the worlds you played in other games. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for that to be missing from this game is disappointing. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think maybe you're not quite giving the game enough credit for the Pokemon feeling like the Pokemon, because I think that's really what they Maybe needed. not descriptively. That's um, what they I, needed I think, to nail, I think. I think... That, well, no, 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 that's for sure. That's why I said they accomplished what they needed to. Um, I Like, I, I don't think they went above and beyond, you know what I'm saying? I see. Well, I like, see. When, I, when I look at Smash Bros., I, I don't feel like they sit down and just try to make a, a good fighting game character and then shoehorn in, like... Uh, Link's bow and arrow or whatever afterwards to sort of make it, right. you know, I, I feel like they design that character around that character's strengths, you know, they, even if right. they, they are using moves that you wouldn't think of being used in a conventional fighting game, they find ways to take what makes that character special and mold it into a fighting character instead of the other right. way around, instead of starting with this sort of fighting character template and then throwing on some flair to, you know, make it Zelda or Peach right. or whatever. So that, that's what I'm kind of wondering is, does it feel more like this is just you know, a fighting game, and then they slap some Oh, no, 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 totally. On, what, they, what they did with the characters is fantastic. Um, I mean, Pikachu is, like, really angry all the time, which I think is a little weird. Um, but other than that, I mean, no, no, no. The, the way they fight, their whole attitudes in the game, I mean, it's all perfect. Like, don't, don't 
let me undersell that. That is really, really great. I'm just saying that the the arenas in which they take place and, you know, the settings for these battles, that's what feels... The thing that frustrates me about it is you can tell that they wanted to set it in the Pokemon world. You know, you've got, like, a, a haunted house. You've got, like, inside a volcano. You've got, like, this old sort of, you know, Eastern European sort of quaint little town. But... How hard would it have been to call the haunted house Old Chateau instead of Haunted House? How hard would it have been to oh, call I the see. volcano, you know, like, you know, Mount Pyre or something like that? And it extends a little bit to just the idea that they're set in a new region um, as opposed to doing like a sort of world tour thing. Um, but I think a little bit more so, it just kind of disheartens me that those arenas are original locations that are just they're all similar to stuff that's already in pokemon but you know either go the extra mile and make it the same stuff or go the extra mile and make it really original you know sure there's like a legend uh, a level of genericism that you wouldn't want you wouldn't absolutely think is characteristic of the pokemon right. ip right right yeah. like the haunted house is literally called haunted house Right. That's what I'm talking about. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then that, that's that's a really good yeah. observation. I mean, there are a couple of stages. Like, there's one, like, Reggie Ruins, which has, like, statues of all the Reggies. And um, I'm just thinking of Reggie for May now. That'd be amazing. Right. <laughs> but, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a cheap way to go about it, though. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it does it a little better, but it's still, you know, they should have made it, like, the sealed chamber. Sure. So, yeah. And, and, like, that stage also, there's unknown all over the place. They're acting as, like, hieroglyphs on the walls. They're flying around the arena. And that's just a little bit dissonant because unknown was from, you know, the ruins of Alf in Johto, whereas the Regis were from uh, all these different places in Hoenn, and then Regigigas was in, you know, Snow Peak Temple. It's like, I get what they were going for, and I appreciate it, but it just doesn't feel quite right. All right. That's all. Um, and then the final game this week, I don't know if you guys have uh, downloaded this and checked it out, but Mitomo. Uh, we've talked a lot about how it's launched in Japan. I've been playing with it for the last, you know, little while. Um, do you guys so, have any impressions or questions? Or One of the reasons why I've been hesitating to download it through the Japanese shop is because the way that Nintendo has implemented Mitomo, it's still region locked. I mean, you can't link it to a My Nintendo account. But right. Precisely. Otherwise, there's, there's no problem. a certain degree to which the game kind of expects you to behave the way you have on past Nintendo consoles. And if that's the route that they're going to be taking with the My Nintendo service, um, I don't want to try to invest a lot of time and energy into creating a, a Mitomo persona that I'm just going to abandon when I switch over to the to the. Yeah, God forbid you lose those 10 minutes. Well, I know. I just don't <laughs> feel just like you can. You. I, I know, don't, I just don't feel like. That. I don't feel like you can get the the full experience of it just by trying it out for a couple of days. No, I agree. But I also don't want, and I, and I don't want to sink my first like month or two into it and then switch over to another account. You know. Right. Right. That's that that that's all to say. I'm a little disappointed with the way Nintendo accounts have and, and their their first mobile game have rolled out. All right. Um, what the thing that disappoints me, we're, I, well, we're getting negative here, but uh, the thing that disappoints me is it doesn't support multitasking. So anytime that you switch over to a different app and then go back to Mitomo, it has to load back up again. And there are a million load times after every like that you give, after every comment that you give, like after literally any action that you take, there's like a little loading like bar that comes up and it's only there for like a second, but it's still like, it's just still just a little too clunky for a mobile app. 
Um, so I don't know that, like, I think if people are, can have enough patience that this thing can really catch on, but I don't know that they will. Um, and so I think that's a big weakness of the app for Nintendo. Um, likewise, it's also a huge battery drain. Um, well, although who if knows? it has to keep reloading constantly, then that, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. would explain that. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and like they even have a power save mode for Mitomo in the settings. It's like, why do you, why don't you just make it better? <laughs> um, but yeah, so despite those things, I've been having a lot of fun. Um, the reactions that they have are really cool. Um, the Mii's are a lot of fun to interact with. So, um, so having not played the game yet, one thing that I've heard and was particularly impressed by i know we've made this observation before but i'm impressed by how much it's crossing over with tomodachi life yeah um i know that was one of the first comparisons a lot of people made was was the tomodachi life but they're letting you bring over a lot of data from tomodachi mm-hmm. life as well i yep. think you can bring your character your character over yep. yep yep um and so that in that sense as a as nintendo's first like kind of major mobile web service initiative that's that's a really encouraging sign um, yeah, because you would want that yeah, kind of and that crossover. goes back to uh, Sakamoto producing that because he was also the producer of uh, both Tomodachi Life games in Japan, and then obviously the second yeah. Yeah. worldwide. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, so for those of you who maybe you know have a rougher understanding of what Mitomo is, it's basically uh, your me will ask you questions and you'll answer those questions, and the way that you interact socially with other people is that your me will tell you other people's answers. Um, so it's really interesting. You know, you can. I feel like this is the social media app that's about learning more about other people rather than about uh, like a thought dump, like I feel like Twitter kind of is, um, or you know, a, a, a moment sharing. It's not like a conversation tool, like, you know, an IM service or anything like that. Right. You know, it's not like a moment-sharing thing, like Snapchat. Um, it's, well, it's, I, th- it's, I think I've talked about this before, but but uh, the big distinguisher for me is that other social networks, it's about sharing the thing that you're actively thinking of sharing, whereas mm-hmm. Mitomo is more about uh, probing for those other things that you wouldn't necessarily actively think of sharing. On. Right, exactly. I was going to say it's. it feels like it's about um, getting to stay in touch with people rather than just staying technically connected on like Facebook or whatever. Right. Um, and to get to know them in ways that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Exactly. I would never have thought to ask someone, you know, who's your favorite male comedian? Or what's something that you've gotten addicted to lately? Or what's something that people do that you just can't understand you know these kinds of questions are they they leave it open to people's answers in lots of different ways that i find really interesting and i think that uh you know people can have responses to the same question that are wildly different and get each other thinking about these things um and so in that way i mean i think it's really neat the way that you can sort of learn more about a person through this app rather than um like i said just you know liking a status on Facebook. It feels different, and it feels more like you're interacting, and I think some of that is because the Mies, uh, you know, they go to each other's rooms, and they talk to each other, and they have these little expressions and reactions, and it's really cute, and it's really fun to just waste your time in there. Um, so, if you're listening to the podcast, definitely check it out. It's free, so you got nothing to lose. Um, but it's really neat. Uh, well, so, everybody, we are out of time, unfortunately, which means this is the end of Nintendo Week for today. 
If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make this show great for you guys, so those iTunes reviews really mean a lot, and they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. A lot of new listeners appreciate it as well. Um, if you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S. S-I-A, or at C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show in our Mystery House segment. Uh, so that's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac. And Alex, where can they find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. Excellent. Uh, if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. On our way out, please enjoy Zelda Reorchestrated's rendition of the Castletown theme from Twilight Princess right off their incredible Twilight Symphony album. Thank you guys all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. March 24th also is when Super Mario Kart, Earthbound, and Diddy Kong Racing, er, and Donkey Kong Country come to the 3DS Virtual Console in North America. I wish Diddy Kong Racing was coming to the 3DS Virtual Console. Are you kidding me?